I have a tool here. Can anyone tell me what this tool is? What's it for? Pardon? A widget, what do you do with it? You use it, for what? Danny, you want to explain what this is for? Okay, so to remove siding. If you don't know its purpose, you tend to use it in the wrong way, and you can end up destroying it. Does anyone know what this creature is? Pulling teeth. Someone saw it earlier and I said it's for pinching the nose, but it doesn't come apart far enough for that. Okay, a hand bender for aluminum siding. Knowing the purpose of something is very valuable. Because if we don't know the purpose of something, we tend to use it in the wrong way. I don't know if you've ever used a screwdriver as a pry bar and then ended up bending the screwdriver. Or you've used a screwdriver to, for whatever purpose, maybe as a chisel, and you end up pounding in the end. I've done that, and you break the handle apart. Purpose is very important. As you think about Mark's gospel, what is the purpose of Mark's gospel? You will find that Mark does not say a lot about purpose other than in chapter 1 and verse 1. Mark 1 and verse 1. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I think this statement basically sums up the purpose of the gospel of Mark. Mark's gospel is the good news, the gospel concerning Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We're dealing with a person, not mere facts about a person. We're dealing with Jesus Christ being revealed not facts about him. Knowing the purpose of the gospel of Mark keeps us on track as we read and study. Lacking purpose results in using the gospel of Mark in a different way or an incorrect way and losing its value. Mark is revealing Christ along with the other gospels. Not merely what he did, but the person of Jesus Christ. Our Kent Hughes says, the acknowledged key verse, the one which summarizes the gospel, Mark is Mark 10.45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Christ as a person, the Son of God reveals himself, and part of revealing himself is that he came to serve, not to be served. The ultimate purpose is to reveal Christ as he lived 
as he served, as he loved, as he healed, as he taught. And I emphasize we're dealing with a person, not mere facts about the person. There's a distinct difference between coming to know a person and to know facts about him. I know a lot of facts about President Obama. I've read some of what he has written. I've listened to some of what he has said. I've read about him. But I don't know him as a person. I know facts about him. Jesus is presenting himself. Not merely facts about him. Again, a real person. The date when Mark was written, I would say sometime between 60 and 70 A.D. We can't be dogmatic, but it seems to be sometime after the death of Peter and during the persecutions of Nero. So Peter would have died. Peter did not consider being worthy to be die like Christ, so he was crucified upside down. That's what tradition would tell us. But he died. Persecutions of Nero came on the scene. And soon after that, Mark would have written his gospel. Because Nero made Christian, or scapegoats of Christians, because he burned Rome, but he blamed the Christians. And they were butchered wholesale. And the church was driven into the catacombs. And it was during this period that Mark wrote, this period of misery in the church. So what is happening? Mark is writing to believers in Rome. They're going through persecution. They're going through rejection. And he is writing about Jesus Christ who went through persecution and rejection. And what's he presenting? Jesus. So he's basically saying to these people in Rome, you're going through persecution, you're going through rejection because of your stand for Jesus Christ. Let me present the good news of Jesus Christ, who also was persecuted and ultimately crucified. He is the one whom you want to experience as you, as you go through this period of difficulty. So when it was written, somewhere between 60 and 70, A.D., we can't be exact, but it was during a time of difficulty for the body of Christ. To whom was it written? I already implied that, some Roman Gentile believers. Mark's terminology is clear, it's terse. His pointed style would appeal to the Roman mind, which was impatient with abstractions and literary wordiness. Also, you find in Mark that there are many Latinisms used rather than Greek ideas. And the reason that would have been used is because that's what the Roman believers, the believers in Rome, were familiar with. There is very little emphasis on Jewish law and Jewish customs. Why? He's writing to a Roman audience. R. Kent Hughes says the purpose of John Mark's gospel was to encourage the Gentile church in Rome. 
He wanted them to see Christ as a suffering servant savior and so arranged his material to show Christ as the one who speaks and acts and delivers in the midst of crisis. Mark has no long genealogy, no birth narrative, and only two of Jesus' long discourses. Now tie the purpose of Mark with the date of Mark and who is writing. Mark is writing to a group of people going through persecution about the one who was rejected and ultimately went to the cross. So who is sufficient for the people to whom Mark is writing? Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the one who is being revealed. The author is John Mark. Now, when I refer to the author, I'm talking about the human author. I believe the Spirit of God inspired the Word of God and guided human authors, but Mark, John Mark, would be the human author. John Mark is an interesting guy. He had a shaky beginning. Because what happened, he went on a missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas and abandoned them. In Acts chapter 13, if you want to turn there, we'll be looking at another passage or two in Acts. But in Acts 13 and verse 13, from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John, referring to John Mark, left them to return to Jerusalem. So here's John Mark going on a missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, and somewhere in the missionary journey, we don't know why, he turned his back on them and said, I'm done, I'm going home. No, shaky beginning. Barnabas took him on another missionary journey. But go to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. Paul and Barnabas have returned from their missionary journey. And they're going to go on another missionary journey in verse 36 of Acts 15. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. <coughs> Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. That's interesting. Mark here has brought a conflict between Paul and Barnabas. Paul apparently had the mindset, if you lay your hand to something, you follow through. And if you turn back on it, you don't get a second chance. Barnabas, on the other hand, says, look, we're not going to throw John Mark to the side. You know, let's take him along, you know, we can help him. Paul said no. Barnabas said yes. So they split. Paul takes Silas. Barnabas takes John Mark. Paul later asked Timothy to bring, bring John Mark back to Rome in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. 
Paul says, we don't want John Mark. But later, when Paul is in prison in Rome, he says, I want John Mark because he's profitable to me for the ministry. I can't prove this from the text of Scripture in a dogmatic way, but I'm of the conviction as I read Scripture that the reason John Mark went from being a deserter to being one who is profitable for Paul was because of a guy like Barnabas who brought him along. Who said, I'll take a deserter like Barnabas, or like John Mark, and I'll work with him and I will disciple him. Because Paul, or Peter rather, is the one who says at the end of 1 Peter in chapter 5 and verse 13, He's my son in the faith. So apparently, Barnabas discipled John Mark. John Mark not only became profitable to Paul, but also was a companion of Peter, an interpreter for Peter, administered with Peter, and when Peter died, it was after that that he probably wrote his gospel. John Mark also served on an important missionary journey to, the Asia, to Asia Minor. There's a biographer, biographer, an honored martyr years ago, said the following, They on the heights are not the souls who never erred or went astray or reach those high-rewarding re- goals along a smooth, flower-bordered way. Nay, they who stand where first comes dawn are those who stumbled but went on. Mark, if you want to put it in the category, was a quitter. But Barnabas brought him along. So as you read Mark, think about the author. Here's a man who didn't do too well at the beginning. He abandoned his first mission. But Barnabas brought him along. Mark was the son of a Jerusalem widow whose spacious home was a meeting place for the believers during the early days of the church. Rhoda's reaction to Peter's voice proved that Peter was a familiar, familiar visitor there. Acts 12, 12 through 17, talks about the fact that John Mark was a son of the widow in whose house the early church was praying for Peter's release. And Peter comes and knocks on the door. Rhoda hears his voice. And doesn't even open the door. (laughs) Runs back and says, it's Peter. And Peter has to keep knocking. But John Mark is the son of a Jerusalem widow. Again, for a period of time, nothing is heard of Mark until Paul requests him to be brought because he is profitable for the ministry. If you learn nothing else from Mark and his life, God uses quitters. Here is Mark writing to the Roman church, going through persecution. 
And he's saying, look to Jesus. How many times did Barnabas say to John Mark, Mark, it's about Jesus, not about all your past. How many times did Peter say to Mark as Peter and John Mark worked together, look to Jesus, it's not all about your past. Some of us here this morning can look at our past and say, I tried, but I failed. I tried again, and I failed. What's the use? Take encouragement from John Mark's gospel, the gospel of Mark. God worked in his life and used him. As you think about Mark's gospel, we can have an outline of Mark's gospel. The beginning of the gospel, we have the foundation in chapter 1, 1 through 13. In verses 1 through 13 of chapter 1, the entire foundation for Mark's gospel is being laid because Christ, it's stated that John the Baptist prepared the way for Christ. Christ is the one who is the Son of God, and God says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Then we go on to Jesus' ministry in public as the Messiah, the Son of God in chapter 1, verse 14 through chapter 8 and verse 26. And he basically begins with saying, hey, I'm new wine. You're used to the Old Testament, you're used to the system of sacrifices, I'm new wine. I'm new wineskins, I'm something totally different. And that's why the religious leaders had a hard time with him. That's why they tried to now, find a way to kill him and so on early in the book of Mark. We find also, we deal with the mystery of the kingdom of God, chapter 313 through 6, 6. The mystery of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Jesus says at the beginning of his book, or Mark, I'm sorry, says at the beginning of the book, Concerning the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of God is near. Then we find his ministry beyond Galilee. Spent a lot of time in Galilee, but he ministered beyond there. Then in chapter 8 through 1547, we find the death of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And that section revolves around a threefold pattern of the Son of Man passion, and prediction concerning what's coming. It sets Jesus in, a, in and around the temple in Jerusalem. You know, it's when he uh, is in the temple and cast out the money changers. Here's a humble, meek, gentle man casting out money changers. You know, we have a hard time with that, don't we? He's in the temple, God's presence. And he says, whoo. You know, he turned over their tables. But that's all taking place in Jerusalem. And then the Last Supper, his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, his being buried. And then, in chapter 16, we find the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, an outline of Mark. 
please see it merely as a tool, a tool maybe to help us understand Mark, to use Mark in the proper way. Probably most of you recognize that this is a holy Bible. I can make some of you get excited very quickly. If I took a nail and held the pointy end down here and then started beating on it with the Bible, some of you would might even go so far as to tell me to stop because that's not the purpose of the Bible. An outline merely helps us to see the gospel mark in the proper way, to use it in the proper way that it's about Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done. Just a couple thoughts as we go through Mark. Interpreting the Gospels, interpreting the Gospel of Mark. The Gospels are about the person of Jesus Christ. Who left the glory of being with his Father to come and to live in a relationship with people, to die and to rise from the dead. As you read the Gospels, as you read the Gospels of Mark, don't see yourself. Don't look for yourself. Don't say, how does this apply to me? See Jesus as the one who's being revealed because Jesus alone is sufficient. We go through difficulties. We go through trials, and that's part of living on this planet. But is Jesus enough? What do you say to someone in Vietnam if you were able to talk to them? Their mother and their father in the last week have been killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm talking in the present now. And you're able to talk to them. What do you have to offer? Jesus. as revealed in the Gospel of Mark, a suffering Savior who was rejected by the religious people who went to the cross. It's the person of Jesus Christ. So recently I visited someone in the hospital, laying there, not having received very good news from the doctor. I can't go into them and say, Keep a stiff upper lip. You'll get better. Doctor already said, death is coming. I can't go in there and say, pray real hard and God will probably fix you. Because God often doesn't, generally doesn't do that. But I can go in there and say, let me talk to you about Jesus. Yes, you'll die. But you can come from the dead with a new body fitted for an eternity with the Lord if you come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Mark is about. 
It's presenting Jesus, the person of Jesus Christ, his relationships, who he is as he relates to his father, as he relates to his disciples, as he relates to those to whom he ministered to. The focus is on Jesus, not facts about him. There's a marked difference between knowing facts and knowing Jesus. So I could say to that person that I spoke to, laying there in the hospital bed with not a very good outcome, I offer you Jesus. Because I've been where you are in a sense. Not that I was laying in a hospital bed, but I sat in the doctor's office. The doctor said to me, you need to have surgery as soon as possible, and I suggest the next day or two, and expect the worst. I was there when he pronounced the death sentence on me. I'm alive by God's grace. But in walking through that, It's Jesus. Oh, I know Jesus died for me. No, we experience him day by day in what we face. And that's where Mark is coming from. The gospel is about the person of Jesus Christ. And as we read the gospels, read the gospel of Mark. Because the gospels are narrative, we should emphasize the broader context. Don't just read a verse here and a verse there. What comes before and after. See the broader context. So you get to the end of the book of Mark. Why could Jesus turn over the money changers' tables? Because he's been demonstrating for 11 chapters that he is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's demonstrated that repeatedly. So he can turn over the money changers with authority. Because he is who he claims to be, but you've got to see the big picture. And along the same line as we wrap it up, the Gospels demand some background information regarding history and culture. In Mark 3, 20 through 25, we find that Jesus' mother and brothers are coming to get him because they said he's gone off his rocker. He's gone out of his mind. That's stated, you know, in the text. You know, what's wrong with this guy? He's gone out of his mind. Now, if you understand the context of that passage, it takes on a much different meaning. Why would they say he's going out of his mind? Because if he gets kicked out of the temple... Who else gets kicked out? His brothers and mother. So we want to rescue this guy from his own stupidity. For our well-being. That's just context seeing various aspects of the Gospel of Mark and we'll emphasize that as we go along. To emphasize... Christ. 
We're going to sing some songs together, as Travis comes in just a moment, that deal with Christ. Deal with God and God sending Christ. And as we sing these songs, I want you to think about the Gospel of Mark. It's about Jesus. Without him, we have nothing. With him, we have a relationship with God. With him, we can walk and talk with him day by day. So reflect on the Gospel of Mark as we sing together. Travis.